I want to read to y'all one of my favorite verses from one of my personal favorite hymns. She loves it. She'll recognize it in a minute. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appears and the soul felt its worth. This carol paints a beautiful picture of the spiritual reality in the unseen realm of what life for humanity was like before Jesus' arrival. Before the first Christmas, humanity and creation, they lay in hopelessness, they lay in error pining. Pining means reaching, so it was this beautiful picture from the writer that humanity before the first Christmas was reaching for purpose, for hope, yet it was always out of grasp. Tail, church, he appeared. Amen? Amen? Church, God is always on time. The date of his arrival, the location of it was not by accident. Actually, today we're going to look at the beautiful thoughtfulness of Jesus' arrival. We're going to look historically of what it took God to personally rig history that he would step into humanity, descending from eternity, entering into the timeline so that he could walk with us. We'll be reminded of the great lengths that God went to to reach us, that when humanity would reach, finally that they would find and hang on to eternal salvation. And here's the burden that your pastor has, is that we as a congregation would allow this word to stir our affections for God. And that stirring would manifest itself in a greater worship for that little baby in the manger that eventually grows up to be the savior of man, Jesus, God saves, to be Emmanuel, God with us. This isn't just a message that will give us all the good feels going into Christmas day tomorrow. The hope is that you would take this word and move it forward day after day. So with that being said, look at me with, at uh, Galatians 4, verse 4 here. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. Our God is a God of providence. Behind the scenes, he orchestrates world events according to his good plan and especially according to his perfect timing. And he orchestrated history to bring about the first Christmas night at the right time. The world didn't lay in sin and air pining one century too late or one century too early. The Son of God arrived at the right time. Let's take a look at what that looks like. I'm going to use the rest of our time today explaining why that is. So this part of your Bible, which is the majority of your Bible, is the Old Testament scriptures, the Old Covenant scriptures. And the, it's the majority of your Bible. And in it, it chronicles how God orchestrates historical events behind the scenes in order to bring about the first Christmas night. 
the arrival of the Messiah. From 2166 BC to 400 BC, God used one method to bring about the first Christmas night. And that was for him to look down at these nations that were rebelling against him and to choose a family to be their God for. So the one method was people, specifically Israel. So for 2,000 years, he used this family. And to start, God used the forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jesus needed to come from their family lineage, but there were some ups and downs. See, there were at least two famines that we know of that nearly eradicated that whole family, thus a threat of potentially destroying the arrival of the future Messiah. Next, we see God's people then grow into a nation, Israel. During this time, God raises up judges. They're like generals in our day, and they were to protect God's people. Although they were very imperfect, we can relate to that, they protected Israel from foreign attacks, thus preserving the future arrival, again, of the Messiah. And so just to familiarize with this time in history, Famous people like Samson was ruling in that day. Okay, now fast forward to the kings with me. God ends up using the kings to rule over them. At the time, Israel was a theocracy. That's just a government where God rules his people through human representatives. So Israel's asking for a king. They were asking for a monarchy, which was a switch of how they related to God's rule. They wanted to answer to a person rather than answering to God himself. They were essentially saying that they didn't want God ruling over them. And though God disapproved passionately, he allowed them to have their cake. But with having their cake, meaning giving them over to the kings and their desires, they had to then eat it too. The kings were mostly evil, like Ahab. The Bible chronicles during that time that Ahab, like other kings, pointed God's people away from worshiping Yahweh, their creator, and pointed them towards a worship of pagan gods, which were fake, and actually demons that were fooling people. But there were a few righteous kings like David and Solomon. Through it all, God ended up using those kings in that era to preserve Christmas. And during that time, God's people were, uh, they were in a massive rebellious cycle. They were like that teen that rebels, seems like they have one good day, goes back to rebelling against their parents again. It was so bad that God used these prophets during that time to warn God's people, listen, if you're going to continue in your disobedience, though I want to bless you, I will not. I will kick you out of this land that I once promised you. So, disobedience and rebellion from God's people to God continually persists. What happens? God allows the Assyrians and the Babylonians to invade and let God's people be captured. During the exile, God used the prophets to tell then of a future Messiah, a hope that was coming, that they would return to the land. And guess what? It happened 500 BC. God's people returned to the land. And if this was a movie, you're thinking to yourself, okay, what's going to happen here? These prophets 
like Isaiah, have prophesied of this future Messiah to save us, God's people. And yet we're exiled. Now they're back from exile in the land. What's going to happen? Church, I know it's a flyover, but can you see? Are you tracking with me? God's providential hand working to get Christmas here. Give me an amen if you're tracking. If not, we can go all the way back and start this whole thing over. Okay, that sounds good. Okay, so in order to see the next two events, you don't have to see me. In order to see the next two events, hey, we actually have to open up our textbooks. In 300 BC, God uses Hellenization to bring about the first Christmas. So this period I'm talking about was between testaments. It's the silent years, intertestament years. So in 300 BC, a guy named Philip from Macedonia, he has a kid named Alex. He then gets a tutor for little Alex named Aristotle. Does that sound familiar? Aristotle trains little Alex in the military arts. And at age 20, Alex takes over his dad's kingdom, the Macedonian Empire from age 20 to 32, Alex conquers the known world. In our textbooks, we know him as Alexander the Great. And before he unexpectedly dies at 32, Alexander does one thing that's paramount to the arrival of Jesus. He teaches the known nations and world one language. This hadn't happened since the Tower of Babel a thousand years prior. And I'll explain how God uses this a minute from now. Continue to push forward with me. Fast forward to 63 BC. That's 63 years before Jesus' perfect, timely arrival. And Rome becomes the new power and has conquered the known world. You'll see its reign up here. You can see up here that a part of the Roman Empire, just like the Macedonian Empire prior to it, is the promised land. God's going to use the Roman Empire to bring about the first Christmas. Uh, does anyone remember what Rome was known for? Roads. I heard someone, you were too shy to say it. That's great. You get a day plus. Roads. Roads. They were known for roads. They had this elaborate road system that reached anywhere in their empire that you wanted to go. And 27 years before the first Christmas day, Caesar of Rome ushers in the Pax Romana. Familiar to anyone? Yes, it was the time of peace. There was a time among the whole known world where there was peace. It was a time where stability was brought to all the nations because they were a part of one government that had a judicial branch, meaning that they were going to correct the thieves. They were going to uh, punish the evildoer. So check this out. Check this out with me, church. With everyone speaking one language, with safe roads because of Rome, and an elaborate Rome system, the whole known world begins to trade. The world becomes smaller and smaller and smaller. And this is where the birthplace of Jesus becomes really interesting. Bethlehem was a part of Israel. That connected three major continents. It's a claim that no other land in all of the world can make. So all of the known world has to travel through the birthplace of Jesus at this time. You can't go to the right that's desert 
you're gonna die. You can't go, it was, it was too risky to go to the left. That was open waters, you could die. Church, it was at this time in history, at this location that Jesus arrived in swaddling clothes. It was the timing and location of the original day of Christmas that was no accident. The Lord actually said it in Ezekiel, 600 years before Jesus actually arrives. He says that Jerusalem was set in the middle, at the center of all of the nations. It was the right time, church, for Jesus to arrive. God moved history behind the scenes, whether it was recorded in the Bible or their textbooks, so that Jesus would come and the whole known world would know of his good news. God moved all of history so that the good news of him would reach the entire world with expediency like never before. They would actually have to travel through the land where the God of the universe was walking and talking and ministering. By the time the original apostles died, the good news of Jesus had gone as far to the west as Spain and as far to the east as India. In one generation, the good news shot through all of the known world. That church is why it was the, quote, right time for Jesus to come. Any other time before would have been limited because the good news would not be able to go through the empire of Rome's road systems. The content of Jesus' message, though, was the thing that got people on fire. It wasn't just the right time that this message, this good news, would reach all of the nations in the first century. It had to resonate and speak to people's souls. It couldn't just reach their intellect and say, that's good information, like what we're covering right now. God had to invite them through this good news into a powerful relationship with him. In other words, it had to be good news to people when they heard it in the first century. And guess what, church? Praise God that it was. Look at the rest of Galatians with me to see what the first century was actually hearing. Galatians 4, verse 4. But when the right time came, God sent his son. God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God moved heaven and earth to send his son for a reason. And it doesn't say explicitly in this text what the reason was, but the rest of the Bible says it was because of humanity's sin issue. All of humanity was slash is born with a sin condition, and it causes us to disobey our creator. And the terrible consequence of that is that it causes relational distance from our creator. Not just now, but especially after our last dying breath. And here was his solution. It wasn't that we would act better so that we could reach our way up to God with our morality. No, it wasn't that. It was that God reached down to us. It was to send his son to do what we could not and that's to obey God perfectly, without one mistake morally. Humanity failed in its efforts to perfectly obey God, perfectly obey all of the Ten Commandments, for example, 
don't lie, don't steal, honor your father and mother. But praise God, Jesus perfectly obeyed the moral code every second of his life. When he was betrayed by his close friend Judas, who gave him up to be crucified, he didn't just hold a grudge against Judas. When he saw G, uh, Peter, his friend, deny him three times, he did not hold a grudge and sin against Peter. When he was mocked and spit on, he did not retaliate. When he hung on the cross, he blessed his executioners by praying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Because he perfectly obeyed the moral code, anyone who believes in his righteousness would be made righteous in God's sight. Amen. Amen. That's the good news. That's the good news that was shot through those roads to reach all of the known world in the first century. That's what resonated with people's souls. It wasn't that we could perfectly obey God anymore, but that we would be given his righteousness by faith in what he did. And that's not all. Look with me at the rest of what the passage says because this was what the first century humans were hearing. Galatians 4, we're going to go 5 through 7 now. God sent him to buy freedom for all of us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out Abba. Father, now you are no longer a slave, hallelujah, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. We ain't slaves to sin anymore. We have the spirit of the son. When we pray, we call God our father because Jesus was sent 2,000 years ago. Hallelujah. He orchestrated all of history to make it happen because of his love for us. And if we're thinking to ourselves that we don't have any purpose in life, maybe we can't trust God. Where is God in the midst of everything? He just didn't do this with big historical events, biblically and historically. He does it in our lives personally. Look with me, Acts 17. For one man, he created all the nations through the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should arise and when they should fall. And he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for all the nations to seek after God, perhaps feel their way towards him, and then find him. That sounds like a holy night. Though he is not far from any one of us. Hallelujah. For in him we live and we move and we exist. Where we work, who our family is, who our friends are, where we live is all because of God's providential hand working behind the scenes. Think back on our lives, the events that led to our salvation. The events that brought us into this auditorium, the events that led us to our spouse were all God's hand providentially working for our good in his perfect timing. 
who is more thoughtful than God? Who's more powerful than God? Who are we that he would be mindful of us? I mean, sometimes I read the Old Covenant scriptures and I say, hallelujah, that I was born after Jesus died because I can relate to him simply by faith. And that causes me to want to obey him. Church, be comforted. The God who worked behind the scenes historically is the same God who's working in our lives now. They should have trusted him then, and some did, of God's people did, before the Messiah arrived. We can, will, and should trust him now. Not just for our good in our lives, but that he's providentially going to provide everything that's needed to bring about the next sequence of events in history. The new heaven, the new earth, Armageddon, all the above. The God who used people to prophesy for this to happen, which fulfilled hundreds if not thousands of prophecies, has also used people to prophesy of what's to come. We can put our bottom dollar that the God who made good on his word then is the God who will make good on his word now and in the future. For those of my friends who were like me, for 19 years I didn't trust Jesus with my life. If that's you, if you're a person who has not put your yes on the table to follow God, you're not in this auditorium by accident. It's location and it's timing. Some of you were invited and you would never be caught dead in a church and yet here you are. God's timing, purpose, and location. I want to give you a sneak peek into what God's doing. He told us earlier here, he wants to make you his child. He wants to set you free from the slavery of selfishness and trying to be perfect. He wants to be your perfect father and never let you down. But it's your decision. What will you do with this message? What will you do with the truth and the reality that testifies that God is truly a God who works things providentially? For humanity's good. And all it takes for you is to believe that you need a Savior and that his name is Jesus. And be willing to turn away from running your life. Submit yourself. Take a knee before God and surrender your will to him. And say, God, as imperfect as this is going to be, I desire to follow you. And it's at that point, everything will change, as it did for me at 19, 18 years old. And it will change from the inside out. If you are ready to make that decision, if you have more questions about that decision, as the band comes back up, I, I just invite you, after service, at the front here, there are going to be people who want to talk and pray through that with you. Don't allow this moment to pass you by. At the end of the service, they'll be up here looking outwards at the front here. Come up, have a conversation with them. Some of them will have lanyards. Church, praise God for his providence.
He's the reason why you're even sitting here. He's the reason why you're born again. May that cause worship and star affections for him. Merry Christmas. Jesus, we bless your name just by simply gathering here. We bless your name by tuning in and listening. We bless your name by having our family here. We bless your name. Would you, by your spirit, cause us, fill us to be full of worship and thanksgiving towards you. In Jesus' name, amen.